You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different today, uh, continuing with our Euro 2020 theme. We're going to be looking back on England's semi-final victory over Denmark at Wembley. Is it coming home or is it going to Rome? We only have to wait until Sunday to find out. Really, really looking forward to what's going to be uh, undoubtedly a cracking final between two very, very good sides. Um, can't wait. Should be exciting. Should be good. Should be. Um, there'll be plenty of nerves. There'll be plenty of tension. And that's what top level football is all about, isn't it? You saw uh, yesterday the scenes, not just inside Wembley Stadium, but I don't know about you guys. I was watching it. Uh, out of friends. And when I was driving back home, there were cars in the streets, bibbing, um, sort of people saluting each other, flags being waved out of the windows and stuff. And uh, this England team have really sort of captured the imaginations of the England fans out there. Um, so yeah, big, big final to come. And it's just a few days away. And we'll be bringing you a full, uh, full length preview of the final uh, tomorrow, actually, where we'll be looking at the tactical side of the game. I'll be talking about. Um, the strengths and weaknesses of the Italian side and how they they kind of match up to what England could offer and what England should probably be looking to do in order to stop and get the better of a very, very strong Italy side, managed, of course, by Roberto Mancini. Before we talk a little bit more about the action, though, there is a player that I want to single out for praise. And seeing as this is an Arsenal podcast, we've got to talk about Bukayo Saka. Um you know, there was a massive debate going into the tournament, wasn't there, around whether or not Bukayo Saka should even be included in the squad. And I kept saying that Bukayo Saka's versatility and ability to play in in various positions, but as well as his maturity, made him a good option. And often, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, tournament football and, and it being sort of very different to club football and it absolutely is but and where it's really really different is that you need to have a squad that gives you options you need to be able to change things and to change things quickly you need to be able to close out games you need to be able to go and throw everything at teams when that situation arises tournament football you haven't got a 38 game season to get it right you haven't got time to gradually find your feet find your philosophy you can't always stick to a philosophy in tournament football because things can change so quickly. And there's always so much at stake once you hit the knockout stages that you just haven't got time to to try things and to, to allow things to run that maybe aren't necessarily working. So Bukayo Saka was a, an excellent choice from Gareth Southgate and he's proven his worth. You know, he proved his worth uh, a couple of times up until now, but I thought yesterday he was excellent. Obviously his part in the uh, the English equaliser when he was played in by Harry Kane. You know, it was great to see Bukayo Saka, first of all, make the run, which was a very, very intelligent run. And then having got into that position, make the right decision. I think Bukayo Saka enjoyed a, an incredibly successful season in an Arsenal shirt last time out. But 
There were moments towards the back end of the season where I thought the finish was sometimes lacking, the key pass was sometimes lacking, and I put it down to a few things. I put it down a little bit to fatigue. I put it down a little bit to tired legs. Um, you know, obviously, Bukayo Saka was someone who played an awful lot for Arsenal last season, probably a lot more than we'd have liked a 19-year-old to play because of how sort of demanding and, and different that season was in comparison to the ones that have gone previous, you know, quick turnarounds of games, et cetera, et cetera. It was really, really um, a, a brutal, hard slog, wasn't it, last season? But Bakayo Saka, as I say, selected by Gareth Southgate and justifying that selection again uh, with a vital contribution last night. I think from a purely... Arsenal perspective and a selfish perspective, I'd, I wouldn't have actually minded Bukayo Saka being left behind because I think taking into account everything I've just said about how last season was, he probably could have done with a few months or a couple of months at least sort of sitting around with his feet up, obviously keeping himself fit, but nothing too too hard, too difficult, too pressing, etc, etc. Um, but he's there now and he's He's showing his worth, as I say, and he's he's showing his maturity and he's not phased at all by playing football at the highest level, playing in front of 67,000 odd England fans or whatever it was last night at Wembley. You know, there's a big pressure in that. I think where international football probably differs, though, is that you don't get um, a lot of the, the criticism and toxicity that you get at club level. And what I mean by that is, you know, Denmark took the lead and we'll come on to discuss uh, that and, and various other bits and pieces um, during the game. You know, Denmark scored a goal and, and I can guarantee you had that been at the Emirates, had we gone a goal down to a to the non-favourite, if you like, we'd have all stood up and gone, oh, for F's sake, you know, we'd been a moaning and groaning and the Emirates Stadium would start to get that toxic feel and that kind of filters around the ground. And I think that filters through to the players. I think at international level, you don't really see that as much. And I think the England team are really, really benefiting from that. I think there is a genuine feeling of unity behind this team. And I think Gareth Southgate deserves an incredible amount of credit for that. I'm in a position where I, I you know, I openly say I don't, I don't support England. Um, I never have. And in years gone by, I would have looked at the England team. I would have looked at people like, you know, when it, let's take, for example, when the back two were, were Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, um, you know, Ashley Cole after he'd moved uh, from Arsenal. And then you moved it further forward and you had people like Frank Lampard and, and Wayne Rooney. There were players that I couldn't stand, players that on a week to week basis I was cursing and I didn't have any respect for. And as an Arsenal fan, I was, you know, and in my younger days, I was a lot more sort of toxic about it all and a lot more tribal probably than I am now. I, it's still there. It still comes through. But back then I was probably worse in that sense. And I found it impossible to support that team. I found it impossible to like them. I found them unlikable. And under Gareth Southgate, there's just a different aura around the England team. And people will talk about the group, you know, are the group likeable? Yeah, I mean, some of them are more likeable than some of the players in years gone by. But you still got a Tottenham striker. You still got a Manchester United centre-half. You still got a Manchester City player playing alongside him. You've got Declan Rice, a West Ham man in midfield. You know, you've got lots of players that play for rival clubs and 
So it's not that for me. It's the kind of the humility that Gareth Southgate's brought to the setup in himself, in the way he goes about his business, in the way he communicates, in the way he comes across. And I think that's rubbed off on the players. He is someone who has made some really difficult decisions um, over the course of this tournament. Decisions that he was harshly criticised for prior to people having the chance to see if they would actually materialise into being the right decisions. And, um, you know, it's it's a testament to him that he's not been kind of phased or influenced or or sort of steered by that noise from the outside. And he's picked his team and he's picked a, uh, a certain style of plays. He's, he's stuck to that. He's stuck to that game plan making a few tweaks here and there for different games to suit different opponents. And he's up to now, you know, he's got everything absolutely spot on. There's no getting away from that. Now, of course, England dominated the game, right? They they were by far the better side overall. Uh, there was a period in the first half where I th thought the Danes were on top um, and they were playing some really, really nice stuff. And with uh, Dolberg and Damsgaard in the attacking positions, I, I really sort of thought that Denmark could pose even more of a threat than they actually did. I think there was a period in that game where England fans were worried. There's no doubt about that. For me, though, you know, to win a tournament like this, you need a slice of luck. Somewhere along the line, you need things to, to align. You need the stars to align. You need things to fall your way. And I think for England, there were a couple of moments where that happened. And I'm not taking it away from England. I don't want people to take this as me sort of suggesting that England were lucky to get through, that England don't deserve to be in the final because they do on the overall balance of play. But there were incidents in that game. There were moments in that game where you're kind of looking at it and you're going, I tell you what, that might be the rub of the green that England need to go all the way. And, and I'm talking, first of all, about the decision to award the penalty to Raheem Sterling. Now, the common sort of comeback I get um, is, you know, well, Harry Kane should have had a penalty earlier on. Denmark maybe shouldn't have got the free kick from which uh, Damsgaard opened the scoring. But ultimately, that was a big, big moment in the game. The timing of the penalty was massive. It was huge at a time when Denmark, in my opinion, had, had settled for penalties, knew, realised, understood, accepted um, that the only way they really stood a chance was to take the game to a penalty shootout. England had worn Denmark down. They tired them out. They kept the ball for long periods of time. They would... Get, get the likes of Raheem Sterling on the ball and he would drive and run at people. And listen, the last thing you want to be doing deep in extra time is having somebody of that energy level, like Raheem Sterling, picking up the ball and running at you. You want to keep your shape. You want to sit in a compact shape and try and soak up possession uh, pressure Sorry, that way. You don't want to be turning and sprinting back towards your own goal. And England, to be fair, they were relentless in the way they apply pressure on the Danes. And that's why they ultimately found a way uh, to get the breakthrough. Do I think, going back to that penalty award, do I think that was a penalty? No, I don't. Um, I don't. I think that Raheem Sterling is already on his way down. I think, I think it was Jensen who came in afterwards from the side and kind of clashed with Sterling. And that made a difference as well. I just, for me, I'm a big advocate of VAR. I've been really pleased with the way... 
it's been used in this tournament. I think what this has done is that it's restored the faith of a lot of fans that question whether VAR could be a success in football. I think it's made us feel like it can actually be a lot better than what we saw in the Premier League last season. It's shone a light on how shit the refereeing has been in the Premier League. It's shone a light on how shit the implementation of this technology has been. But there has been some decisions at the Euros where I've gone, hmm, I'm not sure about that. And this was one of them. And I kind of wanted to see the VAR sort of step in there and, and maybe overturn that because I think if I was an England fan, and I'm not, um, but if I did sort of badly want England to win it and, and people say, oh, I don't care. I don't give a shit that the, you know, the penalty wasn't necessarily a penalty or maybe wasn't a penalty. I think I would care because I know that as an Arsenal fan, sometimes when we win games and we've had a bit of a questionable decision along the way, friends of mine who support other teams, you know, the first thing they do is, well, look, you complain about refereeing decisions. You complain about this. You complain about that. But you're not complaining about it today because it went your way. And I feel like I'm not going to say overshadows the win because it doesn't. You know, it's a massive occasion. It's England's greatest run in an international tournament since 1966. And you've got to um, compartmentalise that one incident as a completely sort of different thing and sort of put it to one side and enjoy the fact that England are where they are now. But it does, you know, it does prove that while VAR does improve the game overall, in my opinion, there will be decisions still that will cause debate. And I guess, look, the debate is something that, a lot of people enjoy a lot of people see as being part of the game so we haven't lost that debate side of things we haven't lost that kind of uh subjectivity that is it subjectivity or objectivity one of them anyway you know what i mean uh, we haven't lost that from the game or we haven't lost that when it comes to making big calls and big decisions uh but england i think slightly benefited from a bit of luck yesterday and then you know, Harry Kane steps up and takes arguably one of the worst penalty kicks that uh, we've probably ever seen him take. Forces a save out of Kasper Schmeichel, who I felt a little bit sorry for because I felt like Kasper Schmeichel dived down uh, to the left-hand side and almost realised that the penalty was so poorly struck and got caught in two minds between trying to parry it where he should be parrying it, which is not back in the middle of the goal, and trying to keep hold of the ball, trying to catch it, trying to bring it in. And in the end, he does neither. And the ball falls to Harry Kane. He was incredibly fortunate, as I say, because that was a shocking penalty kick to then turn it into the back of the net. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a big moment and a decisive moment in the end. But as I've said at the beginning, and, you know, I'm not taking anything away from England, they... They absolutely deserve to go through on the balance of play. I just think if I was Danish, um, I'd be left with a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. I've got to say, that's how I would feel. Some of you saying in the chat that I sound um, is uh, that I sound salty about it. No, absolutely not. I, I don't care. I'm not salty about it. I don't care either way. Um, you know, I've, I've spent the first 15 minutes of the show talking up England, talking up Gareth Southgate, the job he's done. So uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's not me being salty at all. 
Going to talk about a couple of other bits uh, with regards to the game. We'll start with uh, the Damsgaard free kick. And I know a lot of people sort of question whether that was a free kick or not. Um, and obviously the, the the free kick was well hit. It was struck in that kind of like David Luiz technique. You know, David Luiz um, n- never scores them, but always tries to hit the ball in this strange way. Uh, and it has the if executed right, the the kind of this weird trajectory where the ball goes up and then dips at the last minute. And Damsgaard got that absolutely spot on. And it's what threw Jordan Pickford off because Jordan Pickford um, will look back at that. And I think a lot of fans will look back at that and say, it's not in the corner. And so he probably should do a lot better than he actually does. Pickford's not the biggest goalkeeper in the world. I've heard that sort of banded around. I think. Um, yeah, I think that it is um, it is one that you could probably look at the goalkeeper for, but I don't think it's one you should crucify him for. I think it was it was one of those where, in an ideal world, you'd like to see him do a little bit better. But I, I'm not sure that he expected the ball to have, as I say, that strange trajectory that comes off the back of striking it like that, where it goes up and down. Um, let's go back over to the live chat because I can see some of you saying that that salty comment was not aimed at me. I apologise then. Um, I thought it was, um, Ekene says, no, Harry, you are a little bit salty, like a tiny whiny bit. No, I might be salty if Italy don't win it because I'm a big fan of Italian football and I, I make no secret of it. I want Italy to win Euro 2020. I wanted them to win it from before the tournament started. So you might catch me being a little bit salty about the final, um, if that's the way it goes, but, but not now. Um, so yeah. Talking about Pickford, I thought that Pickford, aside from that, which was forgivable in my opinion, I thought he looked a bit suspect. I really do. Um, I think he his distribution, which is something he's been sort of praised for but criticised for as well in the past. He's, he's had kind of both ends of the spectrum there. And, um, you know, I, I didn't think that was great yesterday. I thought there were some really nervy moments from Jordan Pickford. And you're kind of looking at Jordan Pickford and you're, you're kind of sitting there as an onlooker and just wanting him to just calm down. Because it's like once he makes a mistake, he, do, he struggles to get his head right and then continue the game in a way where he is calm and composed. He lets it sort of bother him and he almost shrinks rather than kind of bounces back from things. I think mentality-wise, that's where Jordan Pickford is is lacking a bit for me. He lets mistakes bother him. He dwells on them. He doesn't really know how to get out of that mindset, how to shift back into that full focus mode after an incident like that. And it's something that I think you could say about Jordan Pickford actually probably throughout his career. Um, Let's go over to the live chat pick out a few comments before we move on. Got a few more bits and pieces, of course, off the back of that game to discuss. Uh, Vichan talking about injustices, says the injustice we suffered on our 50th game at Old Trafford still pains me. We know firsthand how it feels to be cheated. We of all people should never support this robbery. Honestly, when I talk about injustices in football, that is one of the the memories that kind of gets triggered in my mind and sparks me off on this tirade about VAR and how decisions need to be made correctly. And, you know, I'm, I I have always said, and, you know, friends of mine will know this. I, 
I can't take losing a game to an injustice. I can take getting absolutely played off the park and I'll walk away and I'll be disappointed and I'll be frustrated. But um, it's, for me, injustice is the worst thing because you can't get, you can't move on from that. You really struggle. But look, let's, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm completely dwelling on that one decision in the game. There were a couple of other questionable decisions. England probably should have had a penalty earlier on, as I've already mentioned. And, uh, and maybe the Danish free kick that ended up going in the back of the net shouldn't have been given as a free kick. So there are a few, um, there are a few sort of uh, caveats to that. And I, I just want to stress that, despite talking about that, despite mentioning it, despite bringing it up, which we're going to do because we're talking about the game. I don't think for a second that Denmark deserved to progress over England because England were, were by quite some distance uh, the much better team. Uh, let's go over Marble Halls TV. Uh, very good question. Uh, and I think I probably owe an explanation on this one. I don't think I've ever gone into it properly on this show anyway. Uh, Marble Halls TV. Why don't you support England? I know DDL says he follows Italy. So I hope he's unhappy on Sunday's game. Yeah, Dan is Italian um, by heritage. Dan De Luca, it doesn't get more Italian than that. Um, why don't I support England? Not for any political reasons. Um, it's nothing to do with that. I was born in the UK. Um, I have lived here. You know, I've I've got, it's not that for me. It's not anything to do with politics. And actually, if you're talking about cricket, if you're talking about rugby, Obviously, sports that I care a lot less about, but I don't have the same feelings towards England that I do in a football sense. It's It stems from a few things, right? So first of all, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on in the show, the England team has always been packed full of players that I, as an Arsenal fan, have disliked and quite strongly. So for me, it's not easy to switch from being an Arsenal supporter all season to then supporting guys that I can't stand and I've spent the whole season cursing. There's always, for me, and, and you know, I think that's changed under Gareth Southgate, I have to say, there's been an arrogance around the England football setup. There's been an arrogance among the fans in general, not specific people before people get upset, but there's been an arrogance in general towards what this team should achieve, what it can achieve. Remember, you know, People talk about England as being this powerful footballing nation and they are powerful because their domestic league is one of, if not the best in the world. But a lot of the reasons it is the best in the world is because of foreign imports. And, you know, you look at some of the teams in years gone by and there was good individual players, but they could never gel. They could never progress. And the fact that this is England's first final since 1966 tells you that this is a country that has not uh, delivered on the international stage. And so, you know, when I cast my mind back to, for example, the semi-final against Croatia last time out in the World Cup, the, the arrogance and the overconfidence that I'd heard from people going into that, that's the kind of thing that turns me off. And then you go and get beat. You know, the, the defeat against Iceland, everybody was, oh yeah, we got Iceland, great. And then you go and get beat by Iceland. You know, for me, England have always, you know, up until now, and they still might have always fallen short. And there has been an arrogance around the England team that I can't stand. I find it unjustified. You know, Rio Ferdinand sitting there 
um, you know, during the Italy-Spain game on on the TV coverage. I think, I don't know if it was BBC or ITV. I was at the game, so I don't know who the broadcaster was. But they were sitting there, well, Rio Ferdinand was sitting there saying, none of these teams give us any problems. What do you mean none of these teams give us any problems? Italy will cause England problems in the final. I'm not even saying they're going to win it. But to say none of these teams cause us problems, none of these teams scare me. That's the kind of arrogance that surrounds this England team that I just can't take. Whereas since Gareth Southgate's come in, that has changed a little bit. And that has changed because he leads it in a different way. When when he's asked stupid questions by journalists and members of the media, which seems to happen way too often, he steers the question in the way that he wants to steer it. He answers the question in the right way. He takes away the pressure from his team he does it in a way for me that makes the whole setup a lot more likable. And that's why I say that Gareth Southgate has done so well. You know, he got to the semi-final last time out. He's in the final this time around. He's gone one step better. And he will be looking at that game last night. And yes, he'll be buzzing and he'd have been enjoying it last night. But he'll know right away there are things that England still need to improve on if they're going to win this tournament. He'll know about the dangers that Italy pose. And when people talk about Southgate's style of play as being boring and negative, I don't think that's the case. I think Gareth Southgate has found the right blend for tournament football and has rightfully, unlike some of his predecessors, paid a lot more respect to the quality of his opponents. And that respect leads to you sometimes accepting that you have to slightly change your game. You can't always be gung-ho. You can't always play the football that you want to play. And that's allowed him to get some big wins against some sides that had the potential to cause problems. So that those are a lot of the reasons. I, I must say, I find England a lot more likeable under Gareth Southgate than ever before. Um, but equally, you know, if I've grown up all those years, never really supporting England, never really getting behind England. If I was to now jump on the it's coming home bandwagon and start running around and jumping up and down in the streets, wouldn't I be a hypocrite? I think I would. So I think it's something you either feel or you don't. And and I don't feel it, um, to put it, to put it bluntly, I guess. Um, let's, uh, let me just uh, touch on a couple of other bits and pieces. Um, before we go to the live comments and then we'll go through the comments, get you some of your questions as well. I can see the chat boxes filling up. But just a quick reminder as well, if you haven't done so already, let's have a look because we've got over 180 of you watching us across the multiple platforms right now. Uh, but we've only got uh, 31 likes. Let's try and get that up to as close to 100 as we possibly can between now and the end of the stream. It really, really does help and takes things, uh, takes the channel up to another level. We're also about 60, 70 odd subscribers away from 14,000, which will be our next thousand landmark. So if you could hit the subscribe button, if you're new as well, uh, that would be very, very much appreciated. I just want to give a shout out to Kasper Schmeichel um, on the Danish side, because I thought Kasper Schmeichel was immense. You know, we talked about, him possibly doing a little bit better um, from the penalty save. But even that, you know, the, the fact he saved it is is good enough. I think he'll, he'll just be cursing his luck off the back of that. But the save that he made from Harry Maguire's header in the second half, I thought was sensational. He made a really good save in the first half from Sterling as well, where he come out 
that one though was one of those ones where you kind of you know you you tell the keeper don't you uh, to make yourself big that's part of the training you go through as a goalkeeper you come out you make yourself big and it hits onto his chest and you're thinking good stop all he's done though is is make himself big and be in the right position the the save from Maguire's header though that was a top top draw save because not only does he dive at full stretch and get a really important hand on it but it's the, the most impressive thing about that is the footwork to get yourself across the goal and make sure that you launch into your dive at the right precise moment so that you can time it properly and I thought that Kasper Schmeichel was great I thought there was a lot of spotlight on Kasper Schmeichel going into the game um off the back of that press conference where I don't think he said anything wrong. I think a lot of England fans took issue with that from what I was reading on social media, but he was bloody right. You know, it's a stupid question to ask Kasper Schmeichel. Kasper Schmeichel does not give a shit about stopping England, bringing it home, if you like. He cares about winning and winning for Denmark the way it should be. And that was just a, 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 an irritating question for me. And I was actually quite glad that Kasper Schmeichel responded in the way he did. And then he backed it up with a performance as well, which is is always helpful, of course. Um, a lot of people touched on the Jack Grealish thing. Obviously, Jack Grealish came on as a sub and then was taken off during extra time again. People talking about that as being a bit of an up yours to Jack Grealish uh, from Gareth Southgate and a bit of a kind of sign of disrespect. I, I completely and utterly disagree with that. I don't think that was the case at all. I think what you've seen there is Gareth Southgate make a decision that he felt was the right one in order to... Um, ensure that England got over the line. He would have explained to Jack Grealish. I talked about Southgate being a very good communicator. I'm sure that conversation would have happened and it would have happened uh, in the right way. I think I, I heard an interview when I was driving home last night where Gareth Southgate said he realised he'd seen in previous games that the Danes had at times put four attackers up front when they were chasing goals and that he felt he needed to lose one of Foden or Grealish um, so that he could bring in that extra defender. He talked about how impactful and how dangerous Raheem Sterling had been all night and that he didn't want him to be the one to make way. And it was out of Foden and Grealish and he made that decision. Fair enough. Don't see an issue with it. Uh, let's go back into the live chat and see there's a few questions. If you haven't put your questions in already and you want to, throw a few in there and I'll pick them up now. Uh, Nishith says, will Calvin Phillips change your mind about him after the final if he starts an England win? Not really. Um, Calvin Phillips has, has turned in a couple of good performances at this tournament and then a couple of OK performances that I think have been overblown. I think his performance last night was overblown. I didn't think he was that great last night. I think Calvin Phillips physically is incredibly good. He gets around the pitch. He makes strong challenges. He works very hard. He covers a lot of ground. I think he's good in that sense. I mean... The fact that Harry Kane had to drop into that deep position to pick out that pass for Bukayo Saka that set up the equaliser says to me that the midfield aren't doing enough in that area. I, I don't think that England progressed the ball well enough with Rice and Phillips in the middle. But I think Gareth Southgate has, has looked at that and, and has taken the pragmatic approach. He's probably looked at alternatives. Can I drop Mount back in there? Can I... Uh, play Bellingham? Can I play Henderson, who maybe isn't 100% fit? And he feels like having that protection of those two and then that freeing up players maybe further up the pitch is, is the right way to go in terms of the balance of the side. I still think England, with a fit Jordan Henderson, 
instead of Calvin Phillips are a much better side. Uh, I really, really do. But now I think it's really difficult to drop Phillips because whilst I don't think he's a great player, I don't think he's done anything wrong to to warrant having taken England this far, being kicked out of the team for the final. So, yeah, um, look, uh, if Calvin Phillips turns in a good display against that Italian midfield, which is going to pose a very different challenge to what England have, have faced up until now, then, you know, I, w- I will say, you know, fair play to him. But I-, I still don't really get the Calvin Phillips hype. I don't think he's been as instrumental at this tournament as some would make him out to be. And I'd probably argue that Declan Rice is a more important player. Uh, what else have we got here? Ryan Buckley says, uh, hey, Harry Sterling has been England's best player, not only in this tournament, but also at the last World Cup. He deserves all the praise and not Kane. I completely agree. Um, look, Kane was good last night and he's been better in the last couple of games, of course. But I mean, better than how he started the tournament. But you're absolutely right to talk about Raheem Sterling. And, you know, it's just it's just the press narrative, isn't it? I mean, with with Raheem Sterling, everybody wants to make him public enemy number one. Everybody wants to talk about, um, you know, off the field stuff like his tattoo and things like that. And he's always been painted in a bad light for me when actually he has been just as, if not more, instrumental to this England side and the relative success they've enjoyed up until now as Harry Kane. Um, he's been England's player of the tournament for me up until this point. And um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He doesn't get the praise that he deserves and it does uh, seem to all uh, lean towards uh, towards Harry Kane. It's just more of a media darling, isn't he? Uh, Eugene McGeever says that uh, England charged by UEFA after the fans shine a laser at Denmark's keeper and boo the national anthem. The laser thing, there's always going to be an idiot somewhere that does that. Uh, I'm from a Greek background. And, and if you watch Greek football or you watch Greek football highlights, that is something that happens every bloody week. Like it is bad. Um, the booing of the national anthem for me is weird. I, I, ju- I just don't get it. Like, you're not talking about two countries that have been at war for 20 years and now coming up against one another. And there's that hostility there um, and all of that. This is Denmark who, who don't bother anyone, who don't harm anyone. And and for England to boo the national anthem, I thought it was disrespectful when they did it to Germany, but I kind of got it because there is an under an undercurrent there in terms of the rivalry that, you know, stretches back a long, long way, way before any of the people that were actually in the ground, remember, anyway. But there is an undercurrent there. But what's the undercurrent with Denmark? What is the issue with Denmark? I I just don't like it. I think it's disrespectful. I I think when it comes to national anthems, you don't need to boo the opposition's one. You need to just out-sing them when it's your turn. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Tolunai uh, John says, uh, Denmark just need to take the loss and go to bed. England outplayed them from the second half and beyond. They were tired after 70 minutes. Yeah, England did outplay them and England did deserve to progress. I think we've all we've all agreed with that. Nobody's sort of said otherwise. I think tiredness and fatigue really, really did hurt Denmark, though. I think the fact that they lost uh, some, some key players. You know, they ended the game with 10 men. Dolberg and Damsgaard having to come off because they were just bloody knackered. Christiansen went off as well. That was a big blow, too. Um, you know, England deserve it, but there were were issues for Denmark that I think really um, made what was already a difficult task for them an even more impossible one. I think you always got the feeling once it went to extra time that England were most likely going to wear them down during that extra time period. And they did exactly that. 
Um, Nihar Tana says, uh, prediction for the finals. Who's going to win, Italy or England? And what do you think is the score going to be? I'm going to leave that because we're going to do a preview tomorrow, an in-depth preview. I'll be getting a couple of guests on with me as well uh, so we can sort of talk about the game tactically, how it might pan out. So I'm not going to get into that too much now. I'll save that one. I'll park it anyhow, but make sure you tune in tomorrow and uh, and you'll get my thoughts on that. Uh, what else have we got here? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um Ekele says, Harry, that's not fair. I was born and brought in Nigeria and moved to England for schools, now working in the US, but I still support England. Harry, you're even more English than most of us. Why is that Why is that not fair? It's, it's my choice, isn't it? Just like it's my choice to support Arsenal. Why? I've never felt that, that connection with the England football team ever. And so what, what are you saying that you want me to do? Are you saying that you want me to put an England shirt on and walk around the streets singing and shouting and dancing and, and pretending that I feel something when I don't? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, it depends on your upbringing as well. You know, it's... I, I'm sick of football's coming home as well. That that doesn't bloody help. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, let's move on. Um through the chat box. Uh, uh, so EFM going back to the penalty says it was never a penalty. And all it is is showing young kids that it's okay to dive in order to get what you want. Cheat to win. It happens in every game though. The beautiful game is dying. RIP football. Yeah. I mean, you, you could make a case. It, it's not a penalty for me, but you could make a case that in 2021, it is a penalty. And that's the problem because we're at this point and we were at this point way before last night's game. This is not something that's just happened now, but it is um, it is a problem. Um, and it is something, as I say, I hope that VAR would have maybe stepped in for. But I guess you got to kind of take the rough with the smooth. And I've actually praised UEFA during this tournament for not being as petty as the Premier League VAR and kind of lifting the bar a little bit in terms of what they actually step in for and looking at things and going, well, was that clear and obvious? And was that a, a clear and obvious mistake? No, it wasn't because you could make a case it was a penalty. So we're going to let it go. So sometimes that will lead to decisions like the one last night where it does divide opinion. It does split opinion and there'll be people who have different views on it. But the good side of that is that they they haven't disrupted the game negatively, in my opinion, anywhere near as frequently as we see in the Premier League. So as I say, with that, you've got to kind of take the, the rough and the smooth. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, lots of you saying it's coming home in the chat. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, lots of you talking about Grealish and um, him not uh, him not doing enough work um, you know, off the ball to justify staying on the pitch, which I agree. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Nihar says, uh, first time being here, Harry, I want to know a little bit more about you. Were you raised and born in England? What team do you support the Premier League? Who's your favourite player? I'm an Arsenal supporter. It's an Arsenal channel. Um, I was raised and born in England, yes. Uh, and what team do I support in, in the Premier League? Arsenal, of course. Favourite player uh, right now? It's hard to say. It's been such a shit season for Arsenal. It's hard to have a player that you you think is your favourite, but I guess if I had to be pressed on it, probably Kieran Tierney right now. Love him. Um, he's been brilliant for Arsenal. 
Right. Uh, we are going to leave it there. I think we can be going for about 40 minutes or so. Uh, thank you for all your excellent questions, your brilliant interaction. Uh, don't forget, we'll be bringing you a preview of the Euro 2020 final tomorrow, as well as bringing you back up to speed with all the latest Arsenal transfer news. Not a great deal going around today in terms of reports, and that's why we've not uh, done a podcast on it. Thought it was more important to focus on Bukayo Saka and England's win over Denmark. Big question. As I say, we've only got to wait till Sunday to find out, is it coming home or is it heading to Rome? I'll catch you all very, very soon with more content. Until then, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.